Well, a very good morning to you. I'm just going to ask Lee to put us onto the first slide. Um, I hope you find th- the talks interesting, but I think I wanted to share with you that that's actually not why we do them. Um, <laughs> I don't think that's a surprise to many of us, but, but the reason why we offer these reflections is that they... Just go to the title slide. Then. No, no. The one that says Exodus chapter 3. Bless you. I'll, I'll leave Lee to get there. Um, but the reason we do these, um, these series is that they can impact your life. Um, and hopefully you leave different to when you came in. And if we're not achieving that, then there's no point to you listening to me for 20 minutes um, or a little less. Um, because the whole thing of, of the journey um, that we're studying this Lent is that it is just that. It's a journey of transformation. It's a journey where the people of Israel started in a particular place and they finished up in a vastly different place to where they started. And throughout the whole of that period, from slavery and oppression through to the wilderness and the promised land, there is this journey of transformation in our lives. And that is why I particularly wanted us to study this journey, this Lent, so that hopefully, as we reflect on that particular journey in the Bible, that our stories intertwine with the Scriptures and our lives become transformed as well. So I hope you listen in that vein. The Exodus, you see, was not just about historical liberation of a people from slavery. It's far more than that. It's about the establishment of a new community with a shared vision of life and what it holds. In many ways, what we discover through the pages of Exodus is a pilgrimage, a pilgrimage which starts with Moses and then draws in progressively the whole people of Israel. This is not just about freedom from slavery, end in itself, though freedom from slavery is, and there are huge issues to do with slavery in our modern times as well. But a few chapters on, we start to begin to realize that this story is of freedom with a purpose. And later on um, in, in the ensuing chapters, we read about how God um, sent Moses to draw the people of Israel out of Egypt so that they could worship him on the holy mountain. And there's a massive point here for us, which is we are to take out of our own places of slavery and be brought to places of freedom so that we can worship God. And just one um, last point, or a couple of last points before we start um, in chapter 3. We are blessed in our lives in order that we take that blessing out to others. Just like there's a point to reflect in together on on God's word, there's a point to receive in blessing. It's not about self-indulgence, it's about being agents of transformation in the places where we are. Do you know the people of Israel discovered this freedom with a purpose, not in the joy and establishment of the promised land, but in the 40 long years, four decades, that they spent in the wilderness. Lent is about that searching out of God and finding him in the wilderness before we find him in the joy and exuberance of Easter. 
One of the things that strikes me most about Moses is, is the ordinary life from which um, God called him at this particular point of his life, because Moses had anything but an ordinary life overall. But from this particular point, tending his father-in-law's flock of sheep, God appeared to him in quite a dramatic way through a bush, which though on fire, wasn't burnt. And it's often occurred to me that the scale of the way in which God reveals himself to people is often proportionate um, to the purpose he gives them. You know, so, so Moses' purpose is huge. To go and lead the people of Israel through 40 long years into establishing their own land. You know, and so almost the revelation had to be equally dramatic and profound. And we see elsewhere um, in the scriptures... Um, this, this story repeating itself. If you, if you were to look um, into the New Testament and find the dramatic conversion of Saul on the road to Damascus by a blinding light, and Saul's identity changed from that point on. He took on a new name, and he certainly took on a new purpose, but it happened, it started in a very dramatic way. And as you look at what Jane and Linda have, have sort of led with... Um, with a burning bush that's on our table here at the front, we become aware that, that God has used fire on several occasions in the scripture to reveal his purposes. So we think about um, uh, the book of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and three God-fearing men who refused um, to bow down and worship the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had erected. And, and fueled with anger, Nebuchadnezzar sends um, these three God-fearing men into a fire which was stoked ten times hotter than it normally was. But these three God-fearing men weren't burned because they feared the Lord. And so they came out of the fire unharmed. Do you see that for Moses and Daniel, for Paul and the people of Israel, God's sovereignty is not just a nice, neat theological principle, but a physical reality whereby our God is strong enough, great enough, awesome enough to control elements as basic as fire and light. I said a few weeks ago that we often limit our understanding um, of God's power by making um, God in our own image. Uh, whereas the reality is that um, we need to see that God is not limited to our conceptions of him. If Moses and the people of Israel only imagined God to be a reflection of their own abilities, then they were absolutely doomed. They were the minority group outnumbered by a vast Egyptian um, government and army and, and slave masters and so on. They were doomed if they limited their vision of God and what God could do to their own conception of him. But that's part of the story that we're looking at today, that God is able to do the miraculous and even more than we can ask for or imagine. So God called Moses, despite his feelings of inadequacy, to go back to Egypt and command Pharaoh to release the Hebrew people. This is, of course, part of the covenant that God started with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, which now continues with Moses. And covenant is a profound form of relationship where God and his people come together in shared life and vision. In this case, the vision is one of freedom and promise. Freedom from the slavery and oppression of their lives, but the, the promise 
of their own land and of a God who will be present with them in the journey to get there. So we read these words in chapter 3. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise you that I will bring you up out of affliction. I'm going to try and limit the number of tangents I go on this morning. But isn't it wonderful that actually God has seen the hardship of his people and responded with compassion? That's a whole other talk in itself. Covenant is a good word because it describes the contrast between the life of the Hebrew people in Egypt and their life with God after being liberated. The basis of the relationship in Egypt is not even contractual, where two parties come together because it suits their own interests. The basis of the relationship between the Hebrew or Israelite people um, and the Egyptian um, King Pharaoh was one of exploitation and oppression. There was no equality or sharing in the relationship. It was forced labor. Former Chief Rabbi Jonathan Sachs expresses the difference between covenant and contract like this. A contract is about transaction. A covenant is about relationship. Or to put it slightly differently, a contract is about interests. A covenant is about identity. It is about you and me coming together to form an us. That is why contracts benefit, but covenants transform. And part of my prayer for us as a church is that we would live out that covenant, that we would join in with God's, God's kingdom building in this place, and that we would be an agent of that transformation, just as Moses was sent to be an agent of God's transformation um, with the people of Israel in Egypt. And the covenant that we discover here is a covenant which began long before Moses was on the scene. It's a covenant between God and his people, and it's one which, despite the twists and the turns of history, God is still faithful to. That is why Moses is sent back to Egypt to be an agent of that covenant, to rescue God's people. That is why in the chapters to come, the Hebrew people build a physical tabernacle, um, a dwelling place for God, so that the presence of God goes with them wherever they go and through that long journey. But here's the bad news. Covenant life is not easy. And I don't think I surprise anyone here by saying that sometimes the Christian life is downright difficult. God promises us life, and he promises us eternity and forgiveness and love and compassion and grace. But there is no promise that that life is easy. In fact, God doesn't try and deceive us. Jesus says to us, if you're going to come after me, watch out because it's about taking up your cross and following me. There's a public health warning at the start of an invitation to come into that covenant life with Jesus. So when God says to Moses these words, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt, Moses is not at all convinced because he knows the oppression and misery of the people of Israel in Egypt. And he knows that he'll be sent into that place and will become part of that oppression. But Moses, and so Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God's answer, I will be with you. I, God, will be with you. 
That right there, my friends, is covenant. Moses is not alone and he's not being sent alone. He is part of the covenant between God and his people. And do you know, one of the most frequently cited objections to the Christian faith or um, one of the most frequent barriers to us coming to faith as Christians is that of suffering in the world. And you know, I get it because I've experienced that nagging question in my mind for so many years as well. But do you know the story of Exodus reveals something profound? It sheds a light on that question of a God of love, but also suffering in reality. And it's this, to get to the promised land, the Israelites had to endure generations of slavery. And they had to undergo 40 long years in the wilderness before they got to enter a land to call their own. There is great purpose in suffering and hardship. God teaches us in the wilderness places of our lives so that when we come into a good place, we come into it knowing that God is also with us in the hard times and shaping us and fashioning us and polishing us into his image. So the people of Israel, though they suffer in Egypt and the wilderness, there is purpose and learning to be taken from it. Many centuries later, the author of the letter to the Hebrews again encourages God's people to hold on to life with and in God through periods of hardship and testing. So turn, if you will, to chapter 12 of Hebrews. It's on page 1145 in in the Bibles that we have in church. 1145, Hebrews chapter 12. And you find these words. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Now, please notice that the first word, which I've put in bold and underlined on the screen, is therefore. And whenever you start to read the scriptures and you find a therefore, you need to know what it's referring to, because that's part of the meaning of the, of the passage. So, so what is the therefore referring to? So cast your eyes back into chapter 11, and you'll find a chapter filled with stories of people who have been faithful um, to God uh, throughout their lives, or try to be faithful Um, to God throughout their lives. And cast your eyes to verse 29 in chapter 11. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. Yes, escape in Egypt was about that journey from slavery to freedom, but far more than that, it is a story of people who put their faith in God, lifted their eyes above the hardship and oppression of their lives, and dared to live the life of faith. The application for us this Easter, this Lent, is to run that race that is marked out for you. Because trust me, God has a specific race for you to run, and it won't be the same race as the person sitting next to you. It is yours, and there's power and there's purpose in you running that race which God has set for you specifically. And if we run the race, we will encounter hardship and we will encounter suffering. But if we have the grace to lift our eyes above the suffering and to fix our eyes on Jesus, we will learn 
through the suffering and the hardship that confronts us. And we will finish the race. And when we get to those gates and God turns around and says to us, well done, good and faithful servant. And we enter into eternity where all suffering and all hardship is banished. We can stand before God knowing that we have been faithful to his calling on our lives. What a great end point that is. Let's pause and just pray together. Father God, we're so inspired by the journey of an entire people into the land which you promised of old. Through hardship, through suffering, through doubt, they kept their eyes on you and your presence with them. Let their journey inspire ours this morning that as we journey through suffering and hardship, we may lift our eyes and see the glory of the risen Lord. And that we may be so inspired by his invitation into covenant life with him that we race through the hardship and suffering and come to know the joy of eternity. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.